Hello, and welcome to Winning Retail. This episode features an interview with Ward Camp, president of Northwood Retail. Since 2014, Ward has overseen the development and strategic vision of Northwood's long-term leasing ventures, working with some of the most dynamic retailers from California to the Carolinas. On this episode, Ward talks about the importance of content and context, how technology is ushering in a new world of influencer-based retail, and why he thinks mixed use is an overused term. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is presented by Dell Technologies and Intel. Together, we help you realize digital transformation across retail by driving IT innovation to better engage with today's connected consumer. Learn more at dellteknologies.com retail and intel.com retail. So please enjoy this interview between Ward Camp, president of Northwood Retail, and your host, Tony Saldana. Welcome to a new episode of Winning Retail, the podcast that's been designed for executives to help turn the biggest retail disruptions into the biggest strategic opportunities. And my name is Tony Saldana. Each episode, we bring you practical tips from the brightest minds in the world of retail and technology. And I am really, really excited today because my guest is Ward Kemp. Ward is the president of Northwood Retail. And before I go any further, hey, welcome to the show, Ward. Tony, pleasure to meet you. Um, looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you. Thanks for hosting me. Oh, you're very welcome. And uh, Ward, since joining Northwood Retail in 2014, you've been responsible for developing and implementing the company's strategic vision, building trusted relationships with regional and national retailers, And of course, managing Northwood Retail's long-term leasing ventures. And prior to this, of course, you've had, along with this, I should say, you've had about 30 years of industry experience prior to this at Glimcher Realty Trust. You were Senior Vice President of Strategic Investments and, of course, Senior Vice President of Retail Strategies. Just before the show award, you and I were chatting about how timely this is. So I've been looking forward to it. But before we kind of jump into any of the uh, subject matter, how have you been holding up through the past year? Anytime you see something that I talk about that pierces people's health, their finances, and you know you throw this global pandemic in it, and we're still navigating our way through it. I still continue to say 2021 is a transition year to 22, and we're in that transition. And so I think we do need to be thoughtful right here at this moment about making sure that we get you know, our retail partners, our employees, et cetera, to the other side. That's the best we could expect right now. Cautiously optimistic. And you've you've obviously got an incredible career in retail. For those of our listeners who might not know, can you tell us a little more about Northwood Retail? Yeah. So I would say Northwood Retail, I joined seven years ago, president of Northwood Retail. We have a good lens into retail. And so we have centers from California to North Carolina. We have a lens from West Coast to East Coast. And with 11 properties, you know, it was in California last week, obviously being in Dallas, we have three assets here, four and four total in Texas, having an asset in Austin, which may be the most dynamic economy in the US. And then the Carolinas, we have a pretty good lens East Coast to West Coast, as I said, but also in kind of the it markets, you know, Charlotte's an it market. You look at Raleigh, just with life science and everything that's going on in the triangle. And then Austin's kind of 
going to come alive. You know, probably pre-pandemic was probably one of the top five cities in the world. And I think post-pandemic will be that way. So I think that, you know, I lean heavy on the leasing side. We have 11 assets. And I think we work with some of the most dynamic retailers, you know, whether it's food, home furnishings, the DTC brands, which we can touch on to department stores. And then I always say, you know, retail today involves technology and everything has like a technology twist. It's one giant omni-channel. And so I think that uh, we can talk about that further, but I think that one thing Northwood really tries to do at each asset is place make. And so I think we do a good job of that. And then, you know, I always say content and context are really important. I mean, if you have a grocery store, can you put the right food or the right retail concepts? That's kind of our sauce is content and context. And I think more importantly, I think that what we've learned through the pandemic is that physical retail really, really matters. And we can touch on that later, but it it, it is you know, like I said, it's one giant omni-channel. But if you think about physical retail today and just what's happening, I'd love to get your thoughts. But, you know, it's like I said, it's one giant omni-channel that's going 24-7. And I think that retailers realize that shipping at the beginning of the pandemic, while great and delivery and all the things we had in place are great. But I think everybody is kind of reevaluating, like pick up is more profitable than shipping. And then I think, you know, you tie in just all the digital payment ways you can pay for things today that were kind of there during pre-pandemic and then really accelerated, whether it's as simple as, you know, Afterpay or, you know, has really risen, you know, whether it's Apple Pay, whether it's Venmo, PayPal. My wife was on a trip last week and she was with some friends and they used Splitwise, which is a travel app that goes through Venmo. So there's just a lot of innovation around retail, travel. And as we reopen and go, I think where we are, Tony, we're we're right at the forefront of people I'm talking to going from necessity-based retail and the discretionary from fashion all the way through to travel and leisure is really starting to take hold. And that's kind of the pivot for the rest of the year. And it's been really driven by as you said, accelerated during the transition into different business models and different formats, most of them driven by technology. But first off, I want to build on the discussion that we were just having around how the retail business has actually already evolved in 2020 during the pandemic. You mentioned several examples. You mentioned pickup is more profitable than shipping and so on and so forth. So what do you think is likely to happen in the next 12 months? Obviously, vaccination and the reopening of the economy will be, you know, one thing from a social standpoint. But what's going to happen to retail as a result of, you know, almost like the world reopening up in the next 12 months? Yeah, that's a great question because we, being in Dallas, I think it was March 10th when we kind of said we're going back to full capacity. I actually had someone in from LA and this morning and, you know, they're kind of blown away at what they see and how open the economy is. But people, I can tell you're being cautious. You know, we're not running around like wild men. I mean, people are being very, very cautious with the opening, but it is the model to see it open. And so, I think to answer your question, the vaccination, from what I can tell, it's like this magic button or this 
you know, what I hear people say, it's liberating. You know, I got to the end and they get their vaccine and they just all of a sudden, I wouldn't say they let their guard down. They just feel like they can do more. They can go out and there isn't this constant worry. And so it's powerful, though. I will tell you the power of the vaccination and what people say and do is real. And you can see the emotion in people's face. People are starting to give hugs again. I mean, things that we all took for granted, those little things that kind of build socially and kind of build the networks back and people get together. And with that, I think to answer your question, what does it look like? I think it, you know, like I said, this is the transition year. We were all being very cautious. We were opening, closing, opening, closing. We still may have a little bit of that as we reopen. We may have some bumps in the road. I, As I say, I still think we've got to get to 2022. But I think now you're starting to see it open up. You're starting to see, you know, you look at TSA, you're starting to see people travel again and go out to restaurants. Women, you know, you, you talk to the retailers. Women are buying dress shoes. They're buying dressier outfits. So you're starting to see that sort of normalcy come back and people are getting out of their athleisure wear and into a more normal pattern. So you also seeing that in in terms of the types of stores that are starting to see more traffic. So maybe restaurants are starting to pick up a little more and then some of the athleisure stores are seeing more traffic or less traffic. So are you seeing any patterns? Well, what I would tell you, you know, the restaurants With the outdoor patio, I don't think outdoor goes away. I think that's a trend that sticks. I think curbside doesn't go away. I think that sticks. I've been telling everybody, like, those are trends, you know, whether it's to go, whether it's patios. But, you know, I've heard of retail, of of restaurants, you know, I was in California last week, you know, where they're just getting to a 25% indoor dining. But we've got some really elaborate patios and I'm hearing of people doing, you know, even in Texas doing in the Carolinas doing 120 to 150% of pre-pandemic volumes. So, oh my. you know, you're, you're hearing the, these stories that are, you know, I heard in Dallas the weekend of the 13th and 14th of March, some of the restaurants had the single best weekend days they've ever had ever. Oh, ever. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> And I was actually last Monday in a restaurant at a center and the manager told us the best in the last two years. So I think it's real. I think it's very, very powerful. And we'll just kind of see where this goes. But I do think the optimism and the discretionary spending is there. I mean, it's it, we are, balance sheets are in good shape. And I think, listen, it's not lost on us that there's 10 million plus people without work. And I think, you know, As we reopen, hopefully that comes back online. But at the same time, there is optimism and there's people that want to go out and spend. So encouraging. Yes. And I can see that. I mean, even even around the area where I live in Cincinnati, which is more residential where I live. But, you know, even the the strip malls and things like that. I mean, you know, you can actually see people being safe, but being out at the same time. And so, you know, clearly there is optimism here. But the retail industry has actually been a fascinating experiment through this past year because, you know, it was already facing digital disruption. You know, it was been, it's been variously called the retail apocalypse and, 
and digital disruption. And then on top of that, the pandemic hit. Now, you've been a big proponent even before the pandemic on the use of digital technologies. So that's an area I want to kind of explore next with you. What do you think retail centers need to do to get on the digital transformation bandwagon? Yeah, it's a great question as far as your background being digital is we've embraced it. Think about what you do in the morning when you wake up. Most people look at their phone. What's the last thing they do before they go to bed? They look at their phone. So, and, and sometime in the middle of the night, yeah, too, yeah, if yeah. you wake up. <laughs> well, the kids sleep with it, right? You know, I mean, they, they sleep with their phones. I, you, I don't know if they technically sleep, but they're accessible. So 24-7, we're all accessible. And so if you think about the phone, it's all coming through a phone, an iPad. It's coming in some, the information's coming at you digitally. Now, I think what we understood back to when I was working on Scottsdale Quarter, kind of 2009, 10, you know, as we were coming out of the Great Recession, it was really my first foray into some of these digital tenants. And then, you know, our project in Austin, Domain Northside, I think we have as many as 28 of the DTC brands and it's simply just direct to consumer shopping. And I think that retailers, that's the wave of the future is to sell directly to the consumer look at the biggest brand out there, Nike, what they do over the last year, year and a half, they really dialed back a lot of their retail channels. They began to open their own stores. We're doing a store with them called Nike Northside. It's more local in nature, but the digital channel, I think they're really, really pushing the digital side of their business and, and, you know, kind of cutting out who they want to do business with and engaging with the consumer. And I think it's, that is the future. And you see a lot of these retailers that are really excelling during this time. And I think if you didn't have a pivot, if you were a retailer that didn't pivot and don't have these channels, you know, I think it's going to be problematic. And so I think that's what's happening. That's for sure. And to that particular extent, you know, you've got the phenomenons of Amazon and, and their purchase of Whole Foods and, and Walmart trying to invest in more e-business or e-commerce and you know so on and so forth. And that's on the supplier or manufacturer side. But what do you make of those trends on the retailer side? And how does that affect you? When Amazon acquired Whole Foods, everybody was like, uh, you, you know, nobody knew what to make of it. And as I say, you know, the grocery business was this archaic business that really, really by nature was archaic, the way it was run the way they grew kind of internally, their employees, it was a business that, you know, you'd start, you'd kind of be there for life. And it was a great, you know, it was a great, great way to grow your career. And I think what Amazon did in talking to the Whole Foods guy and vice versa to the two companies is Amazon taught Whole Foods everything about distribution. Whole Foods taught Amazon everything about the grocery business. And I think it was an incredibly brilliant way to acquire customers cheaply the time it looked expensive, I think the value was like 25 million of stores, what some of the analysts put. And people were saying that was incredibly expensive. But if you think about it, they were able to grab the Amazon Prime customer. They're able to do the lockers out of the store, just the data they're able to acquire. I think it was brilliant. And so I think in that particular space, it made everybody else think, you know, what do we need to be doing on the digital side? the delivery side, et cetera. So 
I think that there was great synergies. And, you know, I think we're going to continue to see retailers marry with other retailers. I mean, I think what Sephora is doing with Target or Ulta is doing with Target is a great marriage. You know, just same customer, open air, off mall. I think it's, you know, it's brilliant on their part. So, yeah. I fully agree with you. I think we're going to see more partnerships along those lines. And then also different uses of technologies on displays. I've seen in, you know, some of the stores in the big cities in New York and, and stuff like that. The use of technology in store is amazing. But you've had a very interesting take on a slightly different technology, which is electric cars. You've said in a previous podcast interview that the rise of electric cars is potentially the most exciting thing going on in retail. So tell us a little more about that one. Yeah, so I'm going through it right now on this past weekend on on the car front, personally purchasing a car, but also having purchased an EV car, I can tell you kind of firsthand the experience. But I think what people don't understand is that this is happening. I think the infrastructure is being put in and I think that there's, you know, some really, really great dynamics around the EV or the electric car. And I think, you know, the two that I really keep an eye on are Lucid and Rivion. I've obviously been in the Lucid showroom. I think they're the S class of EV cars. It's the nicest car out there, not only from the technology, I think the experience. A lot of people are using the old dealer model and I think that model's kind of broken. Purchasing a car, I get reminded, over the last couple of days, doing the paperwork and going through the experience of finance, and et cetera, it's, it's a process that most people don't like. And I think that's what people are missing. And when you talk to some of these EV developers, they want to directly engage with the consumer. And the one thing a couple of the better ones have told me is we want to take that kind of finance or that back of house experience out of the process. And so right there, you kind of gain a customer. And then these products they're making are just superior to cars that are on the road today. Forget that they're better for the climate and that this is happening. We're going to have the infrastructure and the grid. It's the whole experience. And I do think the legacy car companies are going to have to figure the dealer model. We've, we've heard in conversations from some of the guys that are going EV that still have the dealer model, that there's a friction between the dealers and the brands. And so it's something to keep an eye on. You know, it's not going to be just linear. That's a fascinating point that you make because friction points between the consumers and eventually the manufacturers and everybody else in between have to be eliminated because, I mean, if you basically take the the car shopping experience. Most people hate car shopping because they're a little afraid of walking into the showroom, right? That they're going to be kind of strong-armed into buying something. And so that's one friction point. And then you have the friction point between the dealer network and the car manufacturers and so on and so forth. And that's the reason why I think your philosophy on providing retail properties and services that eliminate friction is so interesting to me because you're trying to enable everything from building a connection through influencers. You're trying to do things such as how do you actually provide properties that make pickup and omni-channel 
shopping possible. What do you think is likely to happen to existing retail centers that don't jump on this bandwagon in terms of providing these capabilities to the retail industry? I think that kind of big, you know, having come from the mall industry and there's been a lot of talk around malls and I think that it's an archaic model. It's, you know, in 2015, you can kind of look at the data and see that was the inflection point where things really started to splinter between e-commerce, grocery anchored centers, and just different ways people were starting to acquire goods and services. And I think a lot of that has to do with technology, like you're talking about, you know, whether you're using the influencer model, which is for retail today, you're starting to see Nordstrom is going to stream real time fashion shows, Snapchat starting to do things, acquiring fit analytics. I mean, there's just a lot of really dynamics where the influencer model, whether it's health and beauty or it's fashion is coming to play. And I think the people that have those I go back to content and context. If you have the center that has an aggregation of those type of retailers and or food, those are going to be the winning centers. And that's how we're going to define it going forward. And they're not going to be five or 10 A plus centers in each market. And so I think there will be a challenge, continue to be a challenge around the mall space. It doesn't provide great access for curbside, for delivery, et cetera. Convenience, I think, you know, convenience, you know, when you're fighting against two hour, four hour or overnight or two day delivery, it's got to be very convenient. And that's why I think open air grocery anchored or the great open air centers in the country will thrive is they provide that environment and the access. So in this digital world. And you make, in particular, Ward, this is one of the things I like about you, you make that contrast extremely clear, obviously, to your strategic and financial benefit, which is great. But, you know, the contrast is you can be in the context and content business, or you can be in the real estate provision and maintenance business. And you've famously been clear (laughs) that, of course, you have to do real estate. But really, the bigger idea here is content and context. So I wonder if that's been part of your growth strategy for your company. 100%. I met Gary Friedman. You know, you talk about guys that are next level geniuses. I did his second store in Scottsdale. And, you know, you think about home furnishings and what he's done. You know, 50% of the stores and experience with the restaurant today, but the rest of it's done online. So he's been able to, and think about what the last year's been. It's all been about the home. And I think it continues to be about the home. I think they'll innovate. You know, they've got a new store. I think that I believe is going to be an all outdoor store, physically outdoor that sells outdoor furniture. And so, you know, we haven't, we're fortunate we have an RH in Austin and these retailers, you know, you either buy into the model that it's real, like you said, you're just more in the maintenance, keep at least, I call that more commodity retail. And I think this is, you know, more strategic, specialized, Retail, I think it's two different school of thoughts. And so that's just how we think of it. That's fabulous. I absolutely love it, Ward. So the other area that I want to pick your brains on is this balance between efficient supply chain and good retailing. So how do you strike a balance between the needs of chain operators who may actually have specific supply chain needs and issues? And then, you know, obviously retailers 
who have specific necessary you know, requirements in designing their stores. So how do you kind of build that into your property design? I think that what people don't realize is, you know, that what we've seen for the last five to seven years and why I say the malls got more pressure, a lot of the retailers today only need, we can lease 1,500, 1,000 to 2,000 feet. A lot of these digital retailers or new, new retailers today just don't need the size and the space. And they don't need deep bays, you know, they need 70 feet, 60 feet. A lot of the larger centers are 125, 150, 180 in some of the larger malls. And so I think these retailers, you know, they're highly efficient with everything's pretty much out. And then they're efficient with either using the asset to fulfill orders. That's one thing we saw through the pandemic, whether it was an old Navy at two of our assets or Nordstrom, you know, they were able, I think a lot of people are starting to realize they can fulfill from the store and it's much more profitable. So you kind of have these two different things going on. You have smaller stores that don't carry a lot of inventory and can get it there immediately or ship it to your house. And then you have the larger ones that are figuring out what the last mile is really expensive. Let's just fulfill from the store. We're hearing a lot about that right now. The supply chain being Target is saying, we want to fulfill from the store. And the grocery guys are all starting to kind of rethink delivery because I think grocery delivery is very expensive. You're starting to read about last mile. And I think you would know more about this than me, but I think there's a lot of conversation on just that last mile and then customer acquisition cost, you know, online. So I think when we're thinking about our centers, it's shorter bays, again, to go spaces, and then just making sure you know our centers have the technology or the tenants have the technology or the bandwidth to be able to transact. And so, and giving them a great environment. That sounds like a really smart approach. I'm going to pivot a little bit right now. And uh, if you're okay to play along, we're going to play a short Q&A session, which I call the lightning round. Just a few questions to kind of get you know, the more personal side of things. So um, we just talked about the past year in lockdown. What's one habit that you picked up during quarantine? I go to, started with my local ice cream guy, I go to Shake Shack about four or five times a week <laughs> to get a malt. And it just, I haven't been able to break it. So, um, you know, hopefully I can break it. But, um, you know, it sounds kind of trivial, but um, it's just something I picked up during COVID. So... <laughs> hey, you know, there are worst habits <laughs> right, right, to pick right. up then uh, Shake Shack. Very, very nice. Thank you. What's um, what's the most uh, fun app on your phone right now? I don't know if it's fun, but I've always enjoyed it because I think they do a great job of aggregating information. I use to follow teams. I use Bleacher Report. I think it's instant. And if you like sports, I think they have a great app and I think they aggregate from high school to college to pro. And so it's something personal and something I enjoy around sports. So, Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Now I, um, there's just so many different apps available that are very specific and unique to sports. My heritage is I, I grew up in India and so I still follow cricket and some of the apps that are available. I mean, if you want to keep up, you know, 24 by seven, anything that's happening anywhere in the world, you know, there's an app for that. It's funny. Speaking of apps and productivity, what's your famously personal productivity hack? Some people have something that helps them do scheduling. Others 
have a habit of saying, hey, I om- I'm only going to do video meetings, not audio meetings. Do you have one? Look, I find Zoom an incredible tool, right? But I think what I have found is safely meeting with people, being around people and meeting. We've been you know, on plane since May, and I know that sounds foreign to a lot of people that may listen to this, but we've traveled safely. And I think the one thing I've really learned, either being with peers, younger people, et cetera, you don't get that 15 minutes of personal information that really puts context around why either something isn't going to move forward. You know, I was with a peer of mine and kind of told me pre the meeting, sorry, it was just he and I, he's a personal friend, what was really behind either not moving forward or potentially moving forward. That's information that just would have never gotten through Zoom with people. And then I just having lunch with young people and learning about how they're growing their business, you know, and ideas that you can pick up that you just would never, I was in on the West coast last week and a a young woman had told me she grew her leasing business on Instagram. And I was fascinated, you know, that that's how a 27 year old built their business. And so always trying to evolve and learn, but I would have never got that over zoom or that personalization. So. Yeah. Now um, you make it personal. That's cool. I like it. One other personal question, and then um, we're going to pick your brains for some advice. This is an easy one. Which TV show or podcast are you listening or, or watching right now? Even pre-pandemic, this is one of my favorite shows, is Yellowstone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it has a family. It has family dysfunction. It has, we talk about disruption, and you've got this family kind of holding on to this dynasty and all this change wanting to happen. And then I think it involves romance. I think it involves fashion. You know, like you saw the fairies of the world who's a, a tenant we're doing, you know, two deals with currently, but you started to see that fashion was appearing, you know, pre-pandemic. So I think Yellowstone's kind of got that, has had this halo effect around fashion and the West. And so I think it's very well done. Yeah, it is. Now, I, I, I have to say you picked a good one for the pandemic. <laughs> All right. So for those who are in the mixed use retail industry, as somebody that's been in the business for three decades, what advice would you give them now? You know, I think mixed use is a term that, you know, is somewhat being overused today a little bit. I mean, I think some people will say mixed use is a mall with a limited service or Marriott on the pad and it has apartments. I think what we think of it more as is I think mixed use, the retail drives it. And so I think I think it's got to be really good retail. I think if you have good apartments or you have hotel or you have office, I think each of those asset classes have to stand on their own. I think the apartments need to be great. I think office needs to complement the retail. Yeah, you can't subsidize them. Yeah. And I think the one thing I always say, Tony, there's nothing worse than bad mixed use because you can see it and spot it. And and the decisions that are made around mixed use, you know, are much more challenging. But one thing we like about mixed use is if it's well done, it gives you a little bit of a hedge. It's not all retail. It's not all office. And it's not all either apartment or hotel. So you get a mix of different asset classes. And we think the great mixed use assets over time become their own asset class, meaning, you know, you have grocery anchored, you have power centers, you have malls, but I think you're going to have a subset of just great mixed use assets. 
Yeah, they, they almost create a totally different category. It's almost like one plus one equals three out there. So fully agree, fully agree. What, this has been fascinating talking with you, but before I let you go, I want our listeners to kind of learn from you on a more personal front. So as you look at this incredible career over three decades, and if you were to speak to somebody who wants to kind of get into the retail business, just fresh out of college or whatever it is, what advice would you give them? One thing I think that it's an amazing time to be in retail. If you're young and you're tech savvy, there's so many different channels. If you think about, I always say this is, you think about the US economy, we're 70% consumption. And so I think back to your comment on the retail apocalypse, you know, we have had a great kind of flush. We were having that slow kind of paper cut pre-pandemic. We were seeing bankruptcies and I think this just accelerated everything. And so I think there's some incredible, you know, you always see this, you know, you look at a lot of the digital tenants, Warby Parker was created after the great recession. And so some of the great, you know, and from there other retailers were spawned or, you know, grown out of it. So I think it's a, it's a great time to be in it, whether it's on the retail side or on the landlord side, I just pick a specialty, be passionate about it. And I think if you're passionate about something, I don't think you think of it as, as hard work. I think if you're, if you really like what you do, you know, you grow. And I, I, the other thing I would tell you in retail, it's so fluid right now. It's changing so quickly that you really have to understand all channels and get outside your comfort zone and, you know, try to get educated in all the different channels of retail because it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating business today. That's great advice, Ward. Nothing substitutes for passion. And the point that you make around, it's a fast evolving industry. And so you want to kind of keep up. You, you want to kind of go broad and diverge in terms of the different channels, technologies, and areas of expertise. And I can't think of better advice to leave our listeners with. But um, before we close, thank you so much, Ward. I have to say, I really enjoyed this conversation. I learned a lot. I wish you all the very best. Hopefully, see you again in a subsequent episode on this show. So thank you very much for joining us today. Tony, thanks for your time. It was great to meet you and visit with you. Thanks. You're very welcome. And for all our listeners out there, hey, thanks again. Glad you were able to join us. Make sure you subscribe at www.winningretailpodcast.com. And as we say, until next time, keep reinventing retail. Thank you again for listening to Winning Retail. To find more episodes and subscribe to our newsletter, go to winningretailpodcast.com.